0: Jack. Levi. The Book Club from Hell. Hello everyone, this is Jack with The Book Club from Hell, a drill bit consultancy advising companies the world over on how they can design the most phallic power tools possible and then successfully bring them to market. Glaciers, Gender and Science, a feminist glaciology framework for global environmental change research. Written by Mark Carey, M. Jackson... Alessandro Antonello and Jacqueline Rushing, and first published online in 2016, is the subject of today's episode. It is, at once, a description and an exhortation. Of what? Of the need to make glaciology less masculine and scientific, and to use this to combat climate change. In this academic paper, glaciology is understood expansively, encompassing all human ice interactions, as well as the power, gender and racial dynamics surrounding the ice. In short, we should deprioritise our materialist understanding of glaciers and view them more as an Andean tribeswoman would, living, thinking beings which are offended by the smell of cooking fat. Now, a few pieces of admin before we get into the episode proper. Item 1, our application to the United Nations was successful. As such, the Book Club from Hell is now an accredited global evangelical religion. If you like what we're doing, tell a friend, co-worker, family member, or complete stranger. We'd both really appreciate it, and, again, I remind you that this is now an evangelical movement. It is a religious imperative to preach our gospel. Item two. Even prophets need the occasional rest. We won't be uploading next week, because Levi and I would like a quick rest. More often than not, we don't actually want to read the books or articles covered in episodes, and sometimes we need time off. Weekly spiritual missives will begin again the following week. As usual, so if you're ready to learn about the link between ice core drilling and penetrative sex, then listen on. Enjoy. Yeah, for listeners, Levi's in Bali at the moment, and yeah, you're, probably gonna, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna hear roosters cause... throughout the recording. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not in. Uh, I'm not in Kuta, which is uh, which is like the Australian's favorite. Changu Kuda, <laughs> Seminyak. <laughs> Just a filthy den full of Australians.
0: (laughs) Uh, Just getting drunk and and getting arrested. (laughs) No, Levi's been reading about feminist glaciology with the roosters. All the Balinese roosters. (laughs) Literally giving them a sermon on feminist glaciology. Yeah, telling them all about (laughs) feminist glaciology. Well, being roosters, they're all male, which means that they need to hear the message of feminist glaciology Yeah, they need to hear
1: it most. They are the problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's definitely the problem.
1: They've eliminated, they've eliminated glaciers from the Indonesian archipelago. And secondly, yeah, that's why there all are no more glaciers roosters are men.
0: On, in Bali. Because Because, of the because there are just too many roosters. Too much masculinity. <laughs> and they There's destroyed. too many roosters. they destroyed. Yeah. Otherwise, if it were not for the roosters. The climactic conditions in Bali are perfect for glaciers. If not yeah, for the exactly. roosters, the there would be, play, it would be overrun It would be perfect glaciers. for glaciation. <laughs> There used to be glaciers everywhere in the, like, 30, 30 degrees tropical weather. But in the last... Really, it's a colonial thing because roosters are
1: not native yeah. or endemic to, to the Indonesian archipelago. It is, they were brought here by the Spaniards. I, I don't know that. Yeah, after clo- colonialism,
0: colonialism and roosters came to Bali and all the Spaniards The Spaniards brought something retrieved. here. Yeah, yeah. The entirety of Bali was just an ice cap. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty confident in saying that actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That Bali was an ice cap. The rest of Indonesia was tropical, no no worries. But Bali was an ice cap. I'm very confident. Bali, just Bali, one yeah, giant just a, ice cap. Just a huge ice cap. active volcano used to actually spurt ice. Yeah, it used to um not in a colonial in an inverse colonial way. It used to spread ice to non ice regions. Yeah, in a consenting yeah, loving can somehow consenting free trade loving not free not trade? That's capital liberal way. In the spirit of sharing,
1: not free trade, like free love, free love. Sorry, I, I misspoke.
0: <laughs> non transactional community sharing in the in the spirit of, of proletarian. I was going to say proletarian brotherhood, but a proletarian siblinghood, sisterhood, sisterhood, non gendered. Yeah, it just it sibling. it grows the area around <laughs> it, but that stopped happening, and we learned. This this Seems week like we roosters. learned why that happened without <laughs> having read the research <laughs> because, article. Because of the
1: Spanish roosters. In, um,
0: man, what was the name of the, the journal? Progress in Human Geography. Yeah. Published in Progress in Human Geography in, in 2016. Geography. Glaciers, Gender and Science. A Feminist Glaciology Framework for Global Environmental Change Research. By Mark Carey M. Jackson, Alessandro Antonello and Jacqueline Rushing. At the University of Oregon.
1: Now, it looks like there's at least two men. There's two Two men, men, two women. I mean, I might be misgendering Mark Carey. I might be misgendering Mark Carey and Alessandro Antonello. But I'm pretty sure Alessandro is the masculine version.
0: Yeah, I had a look. The person whose name is M is a a woman. I I had trouble picking whether that was a masculine or a feminine M. But M is a woman. M Jackson. Is that... Her actual no, name. No, she has M. a real name, but she goes as by i I'm not sure. Maybe she really, really got into James Bond or something. I'm not sure, but M. <laughs> <laughs> I did extensive research. The academic, for this episode, formerly known as Michelle and M. Jackson's a woman. So, <laughs> even gender split, which is good, I guess. This is interesting progress in human geography because,
1: um, you know, uh, one of our friends uh, is into. Uh, is a geographer, so I speak to her occasionally, ask mm. her about geography, and my girlfriend is kind of para-geography. She's in
0: like urban design, but that's the masculinization of spaces. So she's kind of an anti-geographer. It is planning, yeah, very. Masculine. <laughs> At least according to this article, yeah, planning and designing. If you, the if space. you plan and design things, you're, you're probably a man. <laughs> <laughs> you're physically, you're literally penetrating With these the earth. fucking articles. Okay, so. We, so so with our previous episode on the conceptual penis, which was making fun of articles like this, we said that quite often in these these sorts of articles, they'll talk about the need to to get rid of gender stereotypes, but then they'll reinforce gender stereotypes um, while saying that they're not. And this article is 100% that. They keep talking about how oh, we need to avoid reinforcing any sort of gender binary or any sort of gender roles which don't exist. But then they'll come out and say things like, yeah, planning or mathematizing things is penetrating spaces, which is fundamentally masculine." <laughs> so uh, don't plan anything if you want to be a woman. Just just ride by the seat of your pants, never think more than thirty seconds into the future. Just kind of that's f- apparently the female experience. I think about it as like fla fl.
1: That's what I think with these people <laughs> fle, 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 fle. just be fle, 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 fle. You just, you just kind of, like, butterfly around, and, you know, you never you never try to create a good explanation of things. You never try to, like, put anything on sort of any, any like, rigorous grounds, measurable or anything. You just kind of say, like, kumbaya, fucking everybody's, just everybody's opinion is equal. Except, <laughs> except for when they disagree. Except for men. <laughs> and if it's a man and a woman, like the man's being a fucking dominator a and dominator. a fucking pig and needs to move over and make space.
0: How about I read the abstract to give people an idea of this sort of article or what this article was like to read? Um, <clears throat> glaciers are key icons of climate change and global environmental change. However, the relationships among gender, science, and glaciers particularly related to epistemological questions about the production of glaciological knowledge, remain understudied. This paper thus provo- proposes a feminist glaciology framework with four key components. 1. Knowledge producers. 2. Gendered science and knowledge. 3. Systems of scientific domination. And 4. Alternative representations of glaciers. Merging feminist post-colonial science studies and feminist political ecology The Feminist Glaciology Framework generates robust analysis of gender, power, and epistemologies in dynamic social-ecological systems, thereby leading to more just and equitable science and human ice interactions. I wouldn't want to be unfair to ice. (laughs) (laughs) So as, as I normally do for this podcast, I actually do try to take the things we read Seriously or seriously, enough that I could try to work out where they're coming from. The authors of this paper made that very difficult. It was very hard to take this remotely seriously. like they they bring up things that are real problems and real things to be addressed, but then go about addressing those problems in a at least what I regard as a completely frivolous way. how How did you find this article?
1: Well, I thought, um. So for listeners, there's several key concepts, and they sort of tr- roughly track the three, the three or four major parts of, uh, of of each section, like the academic paper standard, like section titles. There's knowledge producers, gendered science and knowledge. Number three is systems of scientific domination. Number four is alternative representation of glaciers. I thought that sections one, two, and three were fine. I mean, I had to stretch my what you know, like try straight and then I just thought that section four, like just dump, <laughs> jump jump chuck. And I was just like, okay, well this is ridiculous. But I've I've got an interesting my perspective I so I've tried to come around to not not to agree with the sort of postmodernisty or whatever they call it these days, postmodernist or post structuralist something like that <laughs> uh point of view. I think it's post-structuralism isn't it it's like when there's multiple epistemologies based on like the superstructures inside of which knowledge is created so like uh but i don't know enough about this stuff but i think that's roughly what it is um like so i well i guess i'll just can i just jump into roughly what my framework for thinking through this is yeah, go for it. So, and I'm not going to go on a fucking Popper or Deutsch rant, okay? I'm just going to say what I think. Yeah, but both those things actually are quite relevant to this to this paper. Like, extremely relevant. So, so I, <laughs> I've I've now... Okay, when I'm passing texts like this, I now... When they say epistemologies, they like certain words. They like epistemologies. They like ontologies. They like representations. <laughs> they like these sorts of things.
0: Or cushy-wushy. If people don't know what those things mean, can you just say what, like, briefly epistemology and ontology is? Epistemology uh, means the study
1: of knowledge, so episteme. Actually, I I thought episteme meant something along the lines of belief, but anyway, it's the it's study of science. It's the study of – sorry, it's the study of knowledge and, and or how knowledge grows. Um, then there's uh, ontologies, which is like uh, – this is like one way to think of it is like what is the nature of being and what things exist um what else do they like in these sorts of uh in oh yeah in like fundamental categories of like being in existence um representations. so you might think like uh. So, like, within a cultural context, like, say, how is a particular thing um, actually spoken about, referenced, uh, what are the subtexts, whatever the thing is referenced. So, like, I don't know, maybe in the 1950s, like, representations of women. That one's kind of obvious. <clears throat> or representations of, like, I don't know, Latin American people in the 1960s in the US. It's very different to, like, the representation of Latin American people in 2010s or something like that. Uh, and what's the other major concept that there's... I feel like there's one other major concept that these people bring up a lot. But the main one I wanted to talk about was epistemologies because my current understanding of epistemology is basically that there's not epistemologies, there's just epistemology. There's one epistemology and you can't have multiple epistemologies. And when I pass what this person is saying, I actually... in uh. I sub out the word epistemologies and ins- insert instead uh, sociology of epistemology. Mm-hmm. And that's a slightly nuanced thing to say because I'm trying to give these people, I'm trying to like understand where these people are coming from. I think that there's like basically <clears throat> information and information is like essentially, uh, well, it's hard to say what information is, but we can say that like uh, physical substrate can embody information if uh, the physical substrate can occupy at least two distinguishable states and information is that entity which can be copied onto information bearing substrates Um, and when it gets copied the creation of the second copy doesn't destroy the creation of the first copy. And so when uh, a system encodes information that means that some part of its state space so like if it's a if it's like an electron around um like a a silicon atom it might be like what valence around the like electron the the electron is around the atom so if it's like a higher valence or a lower valence we might say that that is encoding one or zero and so basically we can put the states of physical systems into correspondence with this thing we call the information. And, and basically like knowledge is a type of information that has causal power. So like like a really obvious example of this is like an algorithm. An algorithm is a form of knowledge that like when I instantiate it on the physical chip of my computer it will make the physical computer do something different like algorithm A will do something different from algorithm B. A good example of this is like the sorting algorithms. Like a brute force sorting algorithm will run like with a particular time function and like a, say, a logarithmic sorting algorithm will have a different like time function. And so an algorithm is a piece of information, but it has causal power. And <clears throat> And that information with causal power is knowledge. That's what I understand knowledge is. And basically, I'll just pull in Popper here to say quickly, like, this view of knowledge uh, is a view of knowledge that can account for, like, what is going on in the genome. So, like, there's knowledge encoded in the physical, like, system of the genetic code. Um, There's knowledge. It also can account for, like, how algorithms work. It can also account for, like, the transmission of, like, knowledge from, like, one human mind to another. And so it's basically... Physical systems encode information. Some of that information, if it's causal, that's knowledge. And uh, and the only other caveat to that is that like um, like knowledge can correspond to the world. Um, and if it corresponds, if like a not piece of knowledge A and a piece of knowledge B both correspond to say like are both accounts of like the world, we say that like A is more true than B if <clears throat> A has more correspondence. Um, or can account for more facts than B. And so that's what I think knowledge is. And when these people say epistemologies, what I understand they're saying is they're saying, like, the social context in which knowledge is created within it, like human societies and cultures and institutions. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of not invalidating what they're saying. What I'm saying is there's actually something abstract and independent of the entity in the universe that we call knowledge, like, if there's alien species out there, they could also be, they will also be creating knowledge, and it's causal information that can correspond to the world. But they will have a different sociology of how that like knowledge is created and distributed within their societies and that sort of thing. Does that yeah. make sense?
0: And sorry if that was a bit no. Long-winded. That's that's really relevant to this this particular paper because a large part of this paper, as we'll talk about, is so they talk about the need to unsettle western science from its central position and i I take issue with that idea of western science i i don't think it's been specifically western for quite at least a few decades if not a century like that's that's a very old or antiquated opinion
1: yeah so the relativization of uh explanatory knowledge is anti is is what i like deutsch would call anti-rational and I, i would say like i strongly disagree with that but to the degree that if you want to say that there's like a Western sociological context yeah. around, like, say, like, I can engage in that yeah, conversation, yeah. <laughs> which is, it went through, through that lens. I can look at an article like this with a lot more, like, um, I guess, like, uh, what would you say, like, open mindedness, I suppose.
0: To be honest, to, like, especially to listeners, because you know my beliefs, like, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> inclined, like, temperamentally inclined to be generous to this form of thinking. I regard it as often pretty <laughs> frivolous. So, like, I'm, I'm making a big effort yeah, to be Jack's just moment. like,
1: fuck these people.
0: Especially when they'll, they'll say things like, just things that I consider to be really racist. Like, much of this just gives the impression, or at least I get the impression that the authors on some level think that non-white people or non-Europeans just don't understand the world rationally or in any sort of causal way and should be kept in that position because the authors don't like the West or something like that. It's fucking unbelievably
1: paternalistic. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely fucking unbelievably.
0: Like, a lot of it feels extremely racist to me. (laughs)
1: Yeah, but it's that sort of racism, you know, like, have you ever heard that criticism of modern feminism where it's like... I've heard... Okay, so I've heard second-generation feminists speak of modern, like, maybe third-wave or post-third-wave, this, like, new form of, like, like trans-inclusionary feminism as, like, oftentimes undermining women's, like, autonomy and, like, even the idea that it's, like, it it frames women as just completely uh, victims of their circumstances and stuff. Like, analogously non-western people in an article like this what they don't realize is that they're, it's like it's like they're playing like oh little daddy mm. uh, like a daddy and there's this little indigenous person and they have these funny stories about the world and they can't possibly understand like how glaciers mm. work so we're just going to like deconstruct western science and then not actually like treat uh the say like indigenous peoples in the andes or whatever with the dignity of like actually holding them to like holding like critique criti- like critically analyzing what they're saying
0: yeah it's this view that if you're not if you're not either like from australia new zealand north america or europe you're you're just not equipped to hear say rationalist explanations of the world otherwise your worldview will crumble and that's and, like, you just won't be able to handle that. And so we need to fence off all of these noble savages. Yeah, the noble, it's like, so it's the, the noble savage. Sorry. They're comfortable. Like it just, to me, it feels so unbelievably paternalistic. But also, it's it's phrased in these terms that the authors are doing the right thing and no one else, or people who don't agree with the authors are just ill intentioned and wish to destroy all non Westerners and things like that. So, anyway, I, I was just saying, like, I am not inclined to be generous to this sort of worldview. I I view it as extremely counterproductive. So I'm making a really big effort this episode to be open-minded. It's a good exercise for me.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to caveat everything I say in this episode with like, oh man, excuse me. I don't know if that burp came through, but that was a, that was a (laughs) whopper. Um, (laughs) <laughs> you're, just being overly, you're trying to
0: suppress your overwhelming masculinity just belching into the microphone
1: yeah sorry i should just go on full like barney and just dip straight <laughs> straight into the microphone <laughs> so just before like we really get into more of it, a, it's a, they're really interesting discussions like i'm i'm an indigenous person to australia but i'm an indigenous person who's had like what some people would call like a western scientific education and um i grew up having certain experiences with like non-western say um aboriginal traditional medicines and stuff So i i and i've also like spent a lot of time in academic situations with uh, like indigenous academics who are basically like doing some of the stuff that uh we're criti- we're gonna be criticizing <laughs> in this article. And so I come from the point of view of like, uh I try to see both sides of it, but I, I essentially I actually find these people and you know, I'll just make note that like I don't know for sure, but it sounds like at least three out of four, if not all four, of the uh of the authors, maybe three out of four of the authors potentially like like Anglo-Saxon European descent in in like colonial like was it like Oregon? Mm. You know like yeah Oregon. Um, so I I find it really really deeply. I don't want to be a little bitch about it. I shouldn't say offensive. I just think like we don't as an indigenous person I don't need some like people feeling sorry for us some some like. I'm like and and then not like actually saying why don't we put beside some of these stories about glaciers coming out of food and stuff like maybe that's maybe that's not a good thing that people believe those <laughs> things <laughs> and and you shouldn't you know like I find it really paternalistic and I don't like
0: it <laughs> at least so okay so I don't have that background of yours obviously ever I do like I grew up in circles who were more likely to write articles like this? Like people who definitely had an extreme degree of white yeah. guilt. Highly educated. Yeah. Perhaps over educated. Yeah, 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 so yeah. we're covering this from multiple angles.
1: <laughs> I think we're coming at this from an interesting angle. The only thing that would be beneficial would be to have somebody who's more left leaning than yeah, us. Maybe yeah. They would be able to talk some sense to us we well. do
0: <laughs> Because it's like, it's. They bring up things that are real problems in this. It's just then there's solutions to the problems. I feel like will just make everything worse.
1: Yeah. Well, what? Okay. Yeah, so why don't we start talk like talking about the major concepts? It's pretty. It's pretty easy. So there's there's three major concepts. There, so basically they're upset about uh some the masculinity the I guess over masculinity present in glaciological mm-hmm. research and. They talk about these four key concepts, which we'll go over knowledge production or pr- knowledge producers, gendered science and knowledge, systems of scientific domination, and four alternative representations yeah. of glaciers. Do you want to just um, run, like this episode, so, just
0: run through those in order? Basically, like that can be the structure. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah.
1: that's really easy. And, yep. Yeah, and, uh, and we can just sort of ad lib about them. And,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: It's not like we've ever scripted an episode. Everything we do is. Yeah, that
0: we-, <laughs> <laughs> we we read read these articles, all these books. I make notes on them, and I'll collect some quotes. I haven't released my notes because they, the are, of a book they are they are basically right? just things that remind me of what to talk about. And I just don't think they're very useful for other people to learn things. Also,
1: like Jack's handwriting is. Jack's handwriting is barely, barely like legible. Yeah, yeah. My handwriting was bad to <laughs> so you, begin you with. Should, you should and upload medical education.
0: Absolutely, and like especially work, work in a hospital. Absolutely demolished it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh,
1: the the other thing is <laughs> would be funny is is like uh, you know those uh, pictures of the um, the Columbine shooters. Yeah, where, where's this letters? going? You can actually see the scans. That's like that's Jack's notes for the episode. It's just, we have this compendium of, of Jack's notes. It gets uploaded. It just gets listed on a, like a terrorist watch list. They're like, look at his notes, man. Just the scribblings of a madman. It is hieroglyphics.
0: <laughs> There's actually a secret code in there. After our civilization has been dead for millennia, future archaeologists, the only remnants... Of our civilization left will be my notes a for Jack's the book from hell. <laughs> I just imagine all of these people, all of these people in future universities sitting around trying to work out what my notes mean, yeah, and then transcripts of the Discord server. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I imagine San Marzano might, like, sponsor a
0: Jack Notes, like...
1: Uh, Time capsule conservation effort and just yeah time capsule just engrave them on titanium or something like that. Put them in the Arctic, (laughs) (laughs) and then then future generations will just have like a backup of GitHub and Jack's notes to the show.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 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 and they'll try to resurrect the English language from my notes. (laughs) Shakespearean, yeah, exactly. Shakespearean Jack. It'll have because it will be old. It will have an air of refinement about it. So,
1: okay, so knowledge produces. So this is, this is like one of the key parts where I was talking about, like, the sociology of epistemology. Or the, the, yeah. Or the anthropology, maybe? The anthropology of epistemology. How about we
0: start off even before that? It's because they have this section of, like, of why do we need feminist glaciology? And basically... <laughs> why do we need feminist glaciology? So they say climate change is, <laughs> is bad. And, like, again, this is why... A lot of the things they point out I don't disagree with. It's like, yeah, I agree climate change is bad. So they go, okay, climate change is bad, and a way that climate change manifests itself is that glaciers are melting. And glaciers like climate change has been, they say. So okay, we'll go with their argument. Climate change is caused by a patriarchal capitalist colonialist system which is which is underpinned And powered by Western science. So, in order to help alleviate climate change, we need to bring in non-Western perspectives, non-scientific perspectives, and non-masculine perspectives to try to counteract that. So, feminist glaciology seeks to bring to the forefront of glaciological research knowledge that has been previously marginalized. So, they call it folk glaciology. So, and... Okay, no, no. I, I said that I was going to try to be generous. So, <laughs> the perspective. I want folk science and everything I do. <laughs> I want you know what?
1: I want folk aerospace engineering. The next well, that's, time. that's okay. A plane. So, okay. For a <laughs> second I'm I not want. going to
0: be generous. It's like, it's basically they've just they're the sort of white people who just look at anything that's non, non-European and immediately go, oh, that's so beautiful. It's just it's especially when people start describing things that. A foreign as beautiful. I'm like, you're not taking this seriously, are you? It's like, you're just saying that because it's not from <laughs> your culture. It's basically they look at everything ex- that, that's not Western. Like, not being Western is the criterion which they care about, the sole one, and they look at it and go, okay, non-Western, so therefore it's valid, and I like it's it. It's an overcorrection. Doesn't matter what the cultural context surrounding it is. I just yeah, like it. Yeah,
1: it's an overcorrection to, like, Um, I see it as an overcorrection to uh yeah like yeah, racism yeah. slash you know colonization pretty bad colonization yeah pretty bad we're not gonna you know i mean i'm not going to jack mine yeah i'll, I'll defend i'm not going to get up sure. here and say that but- colonization <laughs> is
0: a good thing
1: <laughs> but uh but yeah there's an overcorrection where it's like you know like for example i'm in indonesia right now um And uh, because uh, it's a former fascist state, I'm not going to say anything about the Indonesian government that would be bad because it's a great government and I love the Indonesian government.
0: Is it still Joko Widodo who's in charge? Joko. Joko Willing. Joko Willing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joko Willing's in charge of Indonesia. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, I'm just just making sure which world leader I like to say on the podcast is my best friend. Uh, Insofar as Joko Widodo is still leading Indonesia... (laughs) I love him. I have pictures of him on my walls. I've drawn Jackie. furry pornography. Of, I mean, <laughs> I've not drawn furry pornography. of him. <laughs> Where was this guy? Oh, yeah. Um, you were saying it was an overcorrect. Oh,
1: yeah. So, but anyway, so there might be criticisms that you could levy against Indonesia, but there's also like amazingly beautiful culture and dance and fucking all sorts of cool stuff happening in a booming tech sector and heaps of cool stuff. But then there's lots of issues elsewhere in the country. And sometimes, um, but e- even you could say of, like, any particular culture, there's issues within, like, um, well, I don't want to throw stones at, like, Indonesian mm. culture, so I'm not going to do that. But, like, say within Australian culture, you could say, like, well, say the drinking stuff in Australia. That's bad. But it doesn't mean that um, that there aren't other parts of Australian culture that are great. Like, mateship is very mm-hmm. good. I think the mateship culture in Australia can be really good. And, um but if I were a non-Australian person saying that, you know, like some people might get uppity about it. Where is all this going? All I'm saying is that, like, there's almost like a... It's condescending. It's, yes,
0: yes. That sums up this <laughs> the entire way these article. People,
1: these, these people at the University of Oregon, of all places, you know, treat Indigenous peoples. <laughs> it's, it's condescending.
0: It's almost as if they just don't recognise that non-Western cultures are... Like, are creations of human beings as well? Human beings are flawed. We're, we're not perfect, and human cultures are not going to be perfect. And that doesn't mean they're necessarily bad. It just means that, say, indigenous cultures around the world are made by people. They, they're going to be problems. They're going to be good bits. They're going to be bad bits. This sounds like the most wishy-washy, fence-sitting thing yeah. to say. Such a dull thing to it's say. true. And if you start... <laughs> Just, if you start deifying non-Westerners and looking at their cultures completely uncritically, you're going to have such a skewed view of the world.
1: Yeah, like African-American culture, amazing rap. Pretty bad gang violence, you know? Yeah, yeah it's,
0: it's <laughs> like if someone looked at violence. that and goes, that gang violence is Really so good beautiful. rap music. It's such a beautiful expression <laughs> of... Gang violence is so beautiful. No, it's not. <laughs>
1: Booty clapping and pole dancing is beautiful. <laughs> getting shot, getting shot in the head with an Uzi five times is yeah, not beautiful. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> but I guess it's pick your poison, right, Jack? So whatever. Fucking love Gucci Mane. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Wherever he came out of, I like it.
0: You've got to accept the bad. with <laughs> No, that's all? not
1: true. I don't like Gucci Mane. I love fat Gucci Mane. I love fat Gucci Mane back in his Chicken Talk days, <laughs> man. He sold out when he got jacked. When He he took the face tattoo off his face. He took the ice cream off his face. He got healthy and he started singing about love and shit. He
0: sold out like a little bitch. I want old Gucci man back. The guy who murdered someone with an ice cream tattooed on his face.
1: <laughs> just just this, 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 One of his video clips is just him just being a fat fuck sitting in his, like, trap house in Atlanta with, like, a bunch of women just, like, Shaking the booties, and he's just got like stacks of like cocaine or whatever the fuck around him. And I mean, it was, it was like actually real. Like there's actual drugs, there's actual guns, and he's just singing about like all the shit that he used to do when he was slinging drugs in Atlanta or wherever he's from. Mm-hmm. And so that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I think <laughs> that's beautiful. I don't think that I don't think that he
0: killed somebody who was beautiful though. No, not really. <laughs> then who's who's to say what art is exactly? Jack? Um. Okay, so what was... Oh, we were talking about, yeah, why is feminist glaciology needed? Yeah, so so that we can seek non-patriarchal, non-Western, non-scientific epistemologies which can help solve climate change, I think is the basic motivating... Premise. Hold on, wait
1: up. Can I just say yeah. one thing, Jack? Sorry, I know this is super important. Like, what you're talking about is on topic. I just want to highlight that there's 1,300 different ethnic groups in Indonesia. <laughs>
0: Fucking hell. Yeah, but how many islands are in Indonesia? Indonesia is basically a thousand different countries just smashed think, into one. And it somehow holds. Together. I think
1: there's six thousand. Is there six thousand islands? I think there's six thousand islands in the Indonesian. Yeah, island. Indonesia's a wild place. I fucking love Indonesia. It's so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. So you know, I'm sure uh, there were lots of glaciers here just a few hundred years ago before before they were colonized. And all 1,300 ethnic groups (laughs) back then, which is like hanging
0: out in the ice. Mm, mm, Yeah, yeah. Before colonisation. All just sunbathing on the ice in the Balinese sun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Taking boatloads of tea. (laughs) Taking magic mushrooms. (laughs) Getting ripped. (laughs) I want to read a quote too. So one thing about this article that did make me feel less generous to it is the word salad. The pro style in this is absolutely atrocious at times. I quote, More recently, glaciology has also been central to Earth system science that often relies on remote sensing from satellite imagery to suggest broader claims of objectivity, but is actually akin to the god trick of seeing everywhere from nowhere questions about epistemology and climate science ice coring and glaciology are only beginning to be asked especially focusing on cold war polar glaciology i just wanted to bring it up because it's There's just its words. just a word dump yeah without there are very few commas in there so it might have sounded like there were commas because i have to breathe but when you're writing this stuff <laughs> that's not necessary <laughs> presumably at least one
1: of these four people got paid to write this yeah
0: they got they got funding for this from the u.s government
1: yeah from the u.s yeah the u.s government and not just any not like the u.s national science foundation presumably that's a prestigious body to be funded by sounds prestigious Sounds sounds very
0: prestigious fucking
1: authoritative doesn't it yeah the u.s national science foundation And here we have feminist glaciology.
0: Oh, here we go. I found a quote actually, which um, is basically the elevator pitch for a feminist glaciological framework. Feminist glaciology raises critical conceptual, analytical and epistemological questions that are largely absent in the 21st century love affair with glaciers and ice. Short and snappy, but (laughs) there are so many things there that are just kind of vaguely defined. Basically, they're they're trying to develop a framework to analyse glaciers within to help with climate change for listeners. That's the basic idea of this. They're trying to take their, uh, let me see, what do they have? Uh, We've got a
1: PhD in, uh, oh, this woman got a Fulbright. Damn. Wow. She got a Fulbright National Science Foundation Arctic Research Fellow. Are you fucking kidding me? Dude, what that's so cool. That is so fucking cool. That is like that's like, there's there's people who do actual research and actual science who would love to have that sort of funding. And this person is writing this guy. What is this?
0: What the fuck is this? Generosity just went out the window.
1: I just I find that's so ridiculous. Are you kidding me? And now she gets to say that she's a Fulbright scholar? Oh man. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no more generosity here this is a bunch of garbage the these people M. don't need my generosity they need to be scorned The because yeah.
0: the person called M is a proper like polar explorer and that's shit. fucking cool
1: well she might be cool in terms of like what she does but like this, this paper I hope that she doesn't stand by this paper <laughs> I hope she should throw yeah. the rest of her uh, colleagues under the bus and just like def- just like just, uh, completely disowns this paper because she sounds cool but this paper is trash so let me see. Anyways, yeah. uh, oh, we got got uh, environmental knowledge studies, abuses. romantic languages. Yeah, so not, these are all, like, uh, Western knowledge. Here's the thing. Where do they get off, like, being all, like, oh, Western knowledge production is all patriarchal and shit, and they all come from no, Western but knowledge production. No, seriously,
0: like, being really honest, like, how many people get tied up in knots about the need to eliminate whiteness or the need to eliminate Westernness or the need to eliminate, I don't know, the impact of the highly educated on knowledge production. Who gets wound up about Look, this stuff? Post who aren't white, highly educated, most. often male? Like it, it's a pattern. The, the, sort of, the sort of people who are in this tend to be members of all of the groups that they rail against.
1: Well, I just think. So again, I was saying like uh, I was indi- I am. I was indigenous. I am indigenous, <laughs> he's, he's <laughs> as far as I'm it. aware. That didn't stop. That didn't stop at any point. When you <laughs> were ontologically transformed in Australian. the book club
0: from hell initiation, <laughs> rituals, transformed whole being white of person. the earth of the human race. So.
1: of the human race i transcended what was that rich piano like (laughs) leaving
0: humanity behind beyond (laughs) you
1: leaving humanity behind levi ontologically transformed left behind my ethnicity and i've left humanity and indigenous australia behind and just become like a a raceless like blob
0: in space (laughs) just <laughs> of yeah, you've just become rich Piana. You've become a walking refrigerator. <laughs> walking refrigerator, just full of testosterone and, and GH. <laughs> you the reincarnation of rich Piana, and as such, are no longer indigenous because you're no longer human.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm just made of pure scientific objectivity, so everything <laughs> yeah, I say is the, valid.
0: Pure and rich Piana. So. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um, yeah, so there there are indigenous. So there's this whole conversation in Australia and New Zealand and um, and and Canada um, with indigenous academia where they talk about decolonizing methodologies. And there's an interesting thing around like social science research, which is like if you're an uh, a west coming from a Western ac- uh, like academy situation so like history so here's let me set this up really briefly basically historically you know anthropologists were guilty of this the most like they would go in to like an indigenous community um write whatever papers they need about that you know get all this like career funding or whatever and just kind of like use a community as like the subject of their research and there would be no benefit kind of flowing back to the community And the community wouldn't even necessarily have, like, any, like, input into that research once that person has, like, done their, like, forensic whatever and then fucked off. And so there's this, like, backlash in Indigenous communities against that sort of research where now people care more, like, well, does the research actually, like, matter to the community? Like, is there participatory stuff? Uh, Like, is there other stakeholder engagement? And I think there's, uh, there's valid stuff in that. But a lot of what they talk about is also like, well, if you're a a non-Indigenous person going to an Indigenous community and you want to do some research, instead of doing it about them, do it with them. And like, therefore, if you're going to go and do some research, paper, don't just have like four white dudes just rock up in an Indigenous community. Like, why don't you hey, here's a fucking crazy idea. Why don't you ask somebody from the community to be like a co author and work with you? It's it's like a groundbreaking it's like, idea. Hey, maybe
0: the people who live in this community it's know simple, a lot hey? about the community you want to know about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: and I think that's all all valid. And then I when I so I'm coming from that sort of academic like thinking where well, I just think like, okay, like yeah, don't come into my community and then study me and then, like, I'm a fucking animal at a zoo, you fuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then I just see, like, okay, potentially four, maybe three, but potentially four, like, you know like, Americans from the University of Oregon just, like, put up, in. oh, look, these Indigenous people from the Andes or whatever the fuck, like, let's just use those as our, like, anti-Western, like, punching bags. Mm-hmm. We can, we can like, hide behind the poor Indigenous people and say, like, oh, yeah, this person has this, like, folklore about glaciers, so, like, fuck West, fuck the West.
0: <laughs> so from the perspective of someone who, who's definitely, like, more left the world of, like, overwhelming white guilt, that makes you describe everything that's not white as beautiful. <laughs> it does strike me that mostly these... Jack's gone the other way. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, it's, it's just, just really like I them, wear my SS fog. uniform when I go to bed and then put on a Klansman hood when I wake up. I'm just moving between all of the different white nationalist ideologies. I haven't settled on one yet. <laughs> Overcorrecting hard. But it seems to me that oftentimes... Like, non-Westerners are just used as, like, almost pieces of evidence for for discussions within Western contexts. Like, there'll be a disagreement within a Western country, or within a Western culture. For example, within, say, modern American culture, or within British culture. And the, the discussion is always in that context, and where non-Westerners come in is to be used as pieces of evidence. So in this, it's like, oh, look, we've got these people in the Andes who understand glaciers yeah. in this way. It's never really, it doesn't seem to be done necessarily for those people. The ultimate goal always seems to be to take no, part in, to take part in a conversation or an argument within a Western context.
1: And it's inevitably in order to, like, tear down the West. At the same time, these people will be like, yeah, well, these people in the Andes, they need electricity and access to mm. the Internet. And it's like, guess what, motherfuckers? It's called Maxwell's Equations. Maxwell yeah. sounds pretty fucking Western to me. Where was the internet invent- invented? It's like, hey, maybe this like categorization of things into Western and like non-Western, this this binary setup, is actually a false dichotomy, and it's not that simple.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, we'll get me. around to this and probably talk about it in more detail. But they do say that the scientific method of understanding the world is Western, and ex- like ex. Exclusively Western, they almost seem to be saying And then what would they say to somebody? And we need like me? to look for alternate views of it. The thing is, I disagree with that quite profoundly because it hasn't just been the West performing not like say knowledge generation using the scientific method for a long time. I mean, so you look at the Chinese, they're it's a scientific yes. powerhouse. And last time I checked, China wasn't Western. or well, say so you look at the the South Koreans, like again, industrial and scientific powerhouse, they're not Western. It's uh, it's it's this intellectual tool that most, most, of the, most of that intellectual apparatus arose in the West or was first assembled in the West. The thing is, it's such a powerful intellectual tool that it is spread around the world and the cultures which have adopted it have been able to generate knowledge in a way that they just weren't able to before. It's just like, it just hasn't been Western for a long time
1: generate unbelievable amounts of wealth like is it just like people don't understand just like man all you got to do is like go to a fucking country where they just haven't had as much time for like capital to develop and as much uh you know um how would you say like adoption of an open society, ethic, and like science and technology. Like even there's certain parts of Bali. Like okay, there's certain parts of Bali that are like pretty westernised, so to say. But like other parts of it, you just you just drive around. It's like people are fucking poor. Yeah. Like people are dirt fucking poor, and it's completely fucking patronised. And there's parts of Australia where you just go in, you know, like rule, like deep fucking Western Australia or Northern Territory. Like you go into those communities and. Like, on the one hand, it's like, uh, okay, like, we don't want to tell people how to think or how to behave or whatever, but if people are dealing with real fucking issues, you know? Like, pe- like kids, they're, like, not able to breathe properly in certain parts of, like, Northern Territory because uh, the particulate matter in the air is too fucking... It's like, it's this fine dust. Is this fine dust. And what those people need is, one, on the one hand, like, filtration systems in their air conditioning, and two, they need... The actual human capital, the, the like the knowledge production skills, so that they don't just rely on like like a white engineer from Melbourne flying in, but like they can have people from their community solving those problems. And to say otherwise, I think it's just absolutely, completely fucking condescending.
0: It's completely ridiculous. It's completely fucking ridiculous. I do get the impression with this article that they're basically and saying that's why that, that sorry, I'm getting fucking this pisses me off, man. Now I'm getting pissed off. <laughs> sorry, why don't you talk and I'm I'm gonna go take a slash. <laughs> I was getting really worked up when I was reading it and I had to go and vent to my wife because it does feel like what they are... We will actually discuss parts of this paper in more detail soon, but I'm sure we'll also vent while doing it. It just feels like that this is a real ideology of entropy and specifically entropy of non-white people. So it does seem that they look at non-Western cultures and even non-white people within Western cultures, they still hold within their minds, it seems, this distinction where... They want those people to keep, basically, aspects of culture which don't generate knowledge to nearly the same degree, and to prevent them from forming cultural systems to generate greater amounts of knowledge and get more wealth, more technology, and become better able to defend themselves. So, I guess, so, with colonization is is an example. So, they they talk about colonization being bad, which is one of the points of agreement I have with this with this paper it's like yep you're pointing out a real problem but their solution to it seems to be a very paternalistic one in that you'll get the technologically very advanced society so for example western society and then take some sort of society which just hasn't been able to generate as much capital as much knowledge or as much as much technological advancement and basically have that culture exist almost as a subordinate culture under the protection of the wealthy high knowledge culture and to just keep things that way and it just seems like a really unsustainable way to have a culture to have one culture that exists basically so long as the wealthier and more powerful culture is willing to support them
1: white savior I just stuff. think if
0: you want to maintain cultures the best way to do it is to have that culture have the ability to generate wealth and knowledge so that they can defend Is, themselves.
1: Okay, if I can summarize it. Okay, so this there was this paradigm in uh in in oh, man sorry I'm sorry for cutting you off. Do you want to finish that thought? No,
0: no, no, go for it. There's this Okay, so
1: there's this there okay, so there was a lot of bad stuff that happened in Australia in the Australian history between like Aboriginal people and early colonists and like all you have to, like, for all those non-Australian people, like, just go and look it up. Like, there's this guy named Henry Reynolds. He's got good stuff uh, that goes in great details. Uh, there's a book, Why Weren't We Told? Every, in my opinion, non-Indigenous Australian should probably read a book like that, um, or Dark Emu. But there's also stuff like... Uh, there's some bad stuff that happened. But <clears throat> one of the things that was bad was, like, uh, like, some of the white Europeans, like... Uh, or the it was really the british, like it wasn't it wasn't white European. It was like the British colonialists. like they came in with the attitude that they were actually doing the right thing. you know, like they were in some situations, not all situations, I'm kind of broad, broad strokes here, like <clears throat> saw themselves as like civilizing the savages. and uh, then other other situations was like, um as we as we move forward in in uh to like a modern context you still have this like hangover where like there's uh people doing stuff in indigenous communities where uh it feels as though as an indigenous person there is a strong sense of uh essentially like it's almost like pity or something and uh and I don't know if the, if you can draw a straight line from, like, that history to the current context of the way that development work is done or international development work or, like, whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, I think Aboriginal people, Indigenous, Andes, Indigenous people from the Andes, uh, white Australians, Americans, like, we're all just people, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we all have the same fundamental capacity to create knowledge and create explanatory knowledge and understand explanatory knowledge and use that knowledge to solve problems in the world. And until like you actually just take that capacity seriously, uh, you can't actually make progress in this space. Like I think it's deeply, deeply, uh, I don't know, as I said, like condescending or paternalistic to say that an indigenous Andes person. Look, the reason why science, the scientific method, there's not really method, but like the scientific uh, attitude works, is because of criticism. Like we we criticize the fuck out of everything in the West, and uh, when you abstain from criticizing directly, uh, indigenous. Uh, or non-Western explanations of, say, like, natural phenomena, when you say, like, well, we're not going to criticise that because it's, it's cultural knowledge or, you know, it's, it's, it's pre-European cultural knowledge. It's like you might... It, I can understand why you might say, like, anthropologically that's interesting to keep around. But if you're saying that, like, no, we're not going to criticise and we're just going to let that community, like, just wallow in the poverty of thinking that glaciers are formed out of spilling oil on the fucking mm. ground like you're a fucking asshole you're an asshole at the end of the day okay i'll give you an interesting story just to demonstrate my point when i was a little kid i spent some time in the desert i'm not from the desert but like my family's not from the desert but like i went out to the desert and i uh spent some time with an aboriginal elder from a different part so there's there's like many many different language groups aboriginal language groups and um where I come from, Sydney, it's heavily colonised, heavy colonisation history. And so a lot of people from New South Wales, they'll go and spend time with other communities where they haven't had as much colonisation in order to, like, have a sense of, like, connection to cultural continuity. <clears throat> and I spent some time with a particular elder um, in the Central Desert region, and he was, like, a traditional medicine man. You say, like, a, you know, I don't know how you say it otherwise, but, like, a traditional medicine man. And... Uh, I, I broke my finger when I was out in the middle of the desert. I, like, dropped a uh, pickaxe or something on it when I was just, like, digging a hole. I don't know what the fuck I was digging a hole in the middle of the desert for when I was, like, 10. But that's what I was doing. And um, now, to this day, one of my fingers is slightly crooked still. And when I went into that man, and I, I do, I you know, I have fond my memories of him. And I love him and respect him as a person. He's passed away now. Um, but what he did is he did some stuff with my finger that had absolutely no effect on the finger. It didn't fix the fact that the bone had been broken (laughs) (laughs) and it's still crooked. And it doesn't matter that, you know, the universe doesn't care what culture the person was who was treating the finger. It only mattered that the finger was broken and that in order to fix the broken finger, you need to actually do certain things to it, which this particular person did not do because he was practicing, uh, He was using explanations based on mysticism and tradition that hadn't been held to criticism. Whereas if I'd gone to a quote-unquote Western doctor, they would have been like, yep, that's a broken finger. Probably need to put it in a fucking cast, mate. For what that's worth. I don't know if it's worth anything.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm sure we'll get back to talking about our issues with this, not just paper, but with this worldview probably very shortly. But, like, I'll try to, to steal man aspects of it. Or say bits of it that I liked. So in the part of so the knowledge producing yeah, part, yes, yeah. <laughs> it says that, it, okay, men and masculinity have dominated glaciology and science more broadly, at least historically. So women were excluded from, you know, from universities and from science. They weren't taken seriously. Their contributions, when they did make them, weren't acknowledged. Or were just attributed to a man. Yeah. All of this stuff is true. Yeah. Like, this This is real. When they're saying it, it's like, yep, this is. Yeah. This was a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. It is improving, but it remains a problem. Yep. And it's like, I, re- I, I hear that and go, yep, tick, agree. Sure. Can acknowledge They say that. that glaciology was particularly bad because it was influenced by polar exploration and mountaineering, which are, are, are mm. described as masculine mm. pursuits. And they say that those pursuits, particularly. Why are they masculine? So they say that they overvalue things like courage, problem solving, being able to withstand hardship, to which I would say, I'm not sure I would describe those as masculine because it follows from that that women are not courageous, not able to withstand hardship and not able to solve problems. Which again, with this whole worldview, I just think like if you think about it for a second, it's Pretty, pretty fucking sexist. <laughs> like they they say a bunch of things indirectly about women about women that I would not say. So here's the issue: like we don't we're
1: not going to talk a lot about her because that's not what we do. We don't talk about too much about our personal lives on the mm. show. But all three of those adjectives could be applied to Jack's wife. She's a fucking she's she's awesome. She's courageous and she's a uh, problem good problem solver and she's uh or you know what was the other one like. um Like, those are all, like, great things, like, and they apply to Jack's wife. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing about those three characteristics or any of the other characteristics that are inherently, quote-unquote, masculine or anti-feminine. that's just a bunch of fucking nonsense.
0: Yeah, and so they they go on from, so I get, like, we'll just accept, okay, that that glaciology is particularly masculine because it, it values these masculine traits. that are are necessary or at least valued in pursuits like mountaineering and polar exploration. But even then, from that, I wouldn't say that because the culture around glaciology has been male-dominated, I don't think that means that it's epistemologically male because they then go on to say that knowledge-generated... From it's, this, is it's epistemologically, epistemologically male. male. And I just okay. don't.
1: It's like, it just penetrates your mind. Yeah, yeah. Like a big, hard intellectual cock.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Anaconda cock. A of, whole new dimension. Of glaciological knowledge. The fleshy French baguette of glaciology. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the oyster prod or something.
0: What is <laughs> can... it? The mayonnaise, the, hot gum. Custard gum. <laughs> yeah. Whatever the fuck was quoted in, <laughs> in the conceptual penis. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's, I, just, I just fundamentally don't accept that the scientific. Yeah, you're right. It's not a method. It's more a posture towards the world. Is a fundamentally wa- male a culture. way of viewing the world. Because I don't think that. That knowledge generation, trying to generate knowledge that corresponds to whatever is external to human beings is a I'm fundamentally not, fucking sw- male thing to do. I swear to God. I swear to God, I'm not going to go on a popper rant. No, a popper rant there's actually, in the, like in the context of this paper, is really, really opposite. Fine. There's one, there's one inter- I'll sprinkle. I won't do a full rant
1: or sermon. I'll just do like a little sprinkling here and there. <clears throat> There's one interesting thing, two interesting things that Popper said. Um, One was when he first started as uh, the lecturer. He was the first professor of scientific method at the university, at the, sorry, at the uh, London School of Economics, where he taught until he died. (coughs) He he said, uh, I am, uh, you know, like, perhaps the only uh, professor of the scientific method in all of the British Empire. And I'm here to tell you that there is no scientific method. And what he meant by that is that like, <clears throat> if there were one, if there were like a master algorithm for creating mm. new and better explanations about the world and how to understand the world, we could just sort of like programmatically or out, like we could sort of robotically apply that algorithm to just create. <laughs> and it up in, in fact, that <laughs> and, 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 and that is not the case because it seems, as though, every time there's a big, like, breakthrough of, like, understanding the world, it's, like, it's not merely just a new fact, it's, like, a new mode of understanding. Like, uh, good examples, like, Darwinian evolution is a really good good one, or, like, um, or even if you've learnt about, like, Einsteinian, like, general relativity, like, the mindfuck of, like, actually thinking, oh, it's, it's, like, time dilation, like, getting your head around time dilation. Like, what was the algorithm that was being applied? <laughs> You know to just arbitrarily generate new knowledge no it doesn't work like that so there is no scientific method but there is creativity and there is criticism and so the only thing that really matters is that there should be and a pop-up just puts it so beautifully he just says it's a culture of criticism that's what we need we just need a culture of criticism where people can make bold guesses as Feynman would say you can make bold guesses but then you can submit them to harsh criticism and that's that's kind of that's the closest thing we've got to an algorithm at the moment. And it's an extremely vague algorithm. It's certainly not one that we can code into a computer. Mm. And um, that is what's generated all of the breakthroughs in all of like all the great breakthroughs, uh, both like in the natural sciences, but I'd also argue in like culture and the arts is like people uh, like even Mozart being able to like take bold guesses in the form of like aesthetic guesses with music. Um, And in his case, like, Submitting them to the harsh criticism of his own, like his own artistic, like goals. But uh, with regards to the context in which that happens, like the social context that that happens, the reason why it works and the reason why these people at the University of Oregon are such pernicious little shitbags <laughs> is because <laughs> is is because we need to protect the culture of criticism. Like I'm not going to mention any particular country is certainly not the country that I'm in right now, but in certain places criticizing the government or criticizing certain public figures is either illegal or like borderline is borderline illegal. And questioning like in certain societies, like in certain situations, like I can speak about my, my situation, for example, like uh, under certain circumstances when I was a kid, like criticizing certain things to do with like uh, traditional knowledge was not like, socially acceptable. And that means that you can't make progress because you can't, like, error correct. And what these people are doing is, like, they're attacking the very institution that they're at, the University of Oregon, and more broadly, the Western institutions, that, like, these are just, like, little pockets where we like, criticising, where there's no authoritative source of knowledge. <laughs> there is no authoritative source of knowledge. And these people are, like, saying, oh, no, like, the Western institution is an authoritative source of knowledge and it's like going out and destroying like the indigenous andes knowledge and they're creating this like false good guy bad guy uh villain victim like narrative in the world which is just not it's just not true like it's not true and it's not western and i'll give like the the clinch the, the, the sort of like the thing that should really just put this to rest this the stake in the heart of this fucking issue is that The current world we're living in that's been created by the European and British Enlightenment over the last 500 years and has extended out into the rest of the world, it didn't have to happen now. It could have happened in, in Hellenic Greece. It could have happened in Baghdad. And it could have happened in Florence. Those are at least three situations that I know about historically. There might have been other situations where it could have happened where, like, free people were able to start criticizing knowledge and institutions and rulers and that sort of stuff. And they were quenched by basically like overzealous authoritarian regimes. And we live in the one time that I know of in human history where that culture of criticism has like actually gotten the fuck out of like one little country and has spread all over the world. And now there's parts, there's people all over the world in places that are diverse from Indonesia to the UK to Australia to like Peru where there's these little buildings where people can create new knowledge and they're not being subjected to just like, you have to believe a certain thing.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm optimistic that that, like that genie's out of the bottle. I think in individual countries, like, I don't know if the university of Oregon geography department got to determine the, the cultural direction of North America, then I'm sure that this, this culture of being able to error correct would die out pretty quickly. But the thing is, it just gives a culture such a massive competitive advantage to have this sort of ability to self-criticise that, like, it's given that it's gone global, it is going to be present in some place. It's going, to, it's going to allow for such an advantageous amount of technology and knowledge generation versus places which don't have it that I think it will survive, but it doesn't have to be in the West.
1: Yes, yeah, science... Science is Mr. Worldwide. It's Pitbull. Yeah, it's Pitbull. It's gone global. Pitbull is actually the global ambassador
0: yeah. of science.
1: Pitbull is the global ambassador for science.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I tr- Damn, this this episode's actually gotten me into rant mode. Fuck me. <laughs> the, the Nobel Committee, just, just for the next thousand years, decides to keep awarding all of the Nobel Prizes to Pitbull. They're like, nah, look, this, <laughs> to, to <Pitbull>. Mr. Worldwide <laughs> is basically... <laughs> The, the scientific posture in one in one bald king.
1: He gets awarded the Fields Medal. He gets awarded the touring the touring prize. He gets awarded like just every single scientific prize ever. Yeah, every <laughs> in, year, in all categories.
0: <laughs> Mister Worldwide Science Ambassador for the human race. Bitch. We shoot him into space so that he can evangelize to other other cultures on different planets. He's like uh, he's the like um, among
1: us. the blue guy out of. He's <laughs> the greatest. Of my life. Um, yeah, so I, I know for some reason. Okay, Jacks had to put up with me going through this bullshit, like my girlfriend has, like other people have of me. Just like, like we say in Aboriginal Australia, like walking in two worlds, and was like the idea of like trying to straddle both like an Indigenous context, social context, <clears throat> and kind of the like post-colonial Australian context. You know, maybe people would have said white. I don't like saying white Australia anymore because Australia is such a multicultural fucking country. Anyways, like, it's just a bullshit way to think about it. But, like, two worlds. Okay, so Indigenous and, like, broader Australian worlds. My resolution to it so far has been, hey, actually, what we need to do is just be highly critical. (laughs) Like, uh, you know, like, I've started the book club from hell with Jack and a lot of what we do is just criticise everything. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I strongly believe in... in uh. Or strongly value the culture of criticism and part of valuing that culture of criticism means that on the one hand yes I think there's some valid criticisms to throw at the Western or whatever institutions and especially historically but you could even say there's still stuff today that needs to be fixed and that's great we can fix those but we don't fix those by all this nonsense around just like let's pick an indigenous community or uh, a particular demographic group, whether it's transgendered people or women or whatever, and just use them as like our shields to like essentially what they're doing is they, it's kind of like this weird it's this weird paternalistic scapegoat move that these academics
0: have pulled. Mm, mm yeah, and then, okay, so being generous, you could say that this article represents an attempt to criticize. Yeah, you know, to to self-criticize within the Western context, and that's yeah. like that's good. That's how I, we I generate new that. knowledge. But simply, simply the act of criticism doesn't mean that something is valid. Like just criticizing something no. in itself is not useful. You need to be criticizing with like what what I would regard as in good faith. Like criticizing to generate something new, rather than Basically, criticize and then having criticized, just put in place whatever you like, whatever intellectual structure you've come up with. And because you have criticized, say that that somehow validates your suggested way of living or way of viewing the world. So I like the
1: way that you put it before. It's an ideology of entropy. I think that so perfectly encapsulates like some of the attitudes that like. People like this bring well,
0: it's just—it's just like the roll-up and They like just ideology.
1: Hate, hate, the West.
0: Yeah. What a bunch of bullshit.
1: What? But his thing is like the—the the only.
0: Oh no, no, go on. I was just—I was just, just going to say something rude. No, go. You're probably going to say something much more constructive. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: okay. Like the criticism, super important. But like, when you criticize something, bring forward like um, I'm talking. Not I'm not talking about this book club because on this book club we reserve every right to just talk shit and be n- absolutely not productive at all
0: <laughs> but this is a we're this entertaining is a, people
1: this is a paramilitary operation yeah, we're yeah the,
0: the paramilitary if, wing of book club from hell is our constructive response <laughs> to the world <laughs> Yeah, this is an entertainment
1: podcast <laughs> where you get ranted at by Levi every now and then. Spontaneously, fuck me. This
0: this this topic has gotten me worked up. Um, this uh, this so, paper got me angrier than most things <laughs> we've read for this.
1: <laughs> it's like, you got to go, you, like, criticise something. Good, criticise. Except then author, like, like, be constructive about it. <laughs> you know, criticise and then, like, add something. Like, how do you fix it? because yeah, seriously, and, like... Maybe these people are do you think that they're trying to be constructive? Maybe maybe some parts of it can be constructive.
0: Okay, maybe. so their their constructiveness is they propose a frame the feminist glaciological framework which okay so so spoiler their framework is basically <laughs> we need to re- we need to hold all of these different ways of understanding glaciers as more or less equal. And it's like, okay, well, that de- okay. that depends on what your goal is. So if your goal is, for example, to document the different ways in which different cultures understand glaciers, fine. It, yeah, okay, document them. If your goal is to counteract climate change, which is the stated goal at the beginning of this article of the feminist glaciological framework, then... Their whole thing about how, like, they told a story about how they were in the Andes and they met with some, like, locals there who said that you can't eat fatty food around glaciers because if the fat spills, it will become a glacier or it can make the glaciers slip and, I don't know, like, pancake you if they run you over or something like that. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, yeah. It's, actually have you seen that? not going to help us <laughs> with climate change. I'm sorry, I'm sure it's a great story and it, Like, it helps situate a certain culture in the world. But that is not going to change the course of climate change. Like, that is flat out not going to (laughs) help. It's like that scene from Austin Powers. I think the spy who shagged me was a
1: golden gun where they're in, like, they're in in the roller. Like, there's, you know, like one of those giant trucks that's got, like, the rolling pin on it. And they're like driving down this like secret lair, and there's one of the henchmen, the the guards, is just standing there, so shouting out like "stop," <laughs> and
0: yeah, he goes up yeah, for yeah, like two minutes rolling. of them
1: rolling towards him. <laughs> "stop," <laughs> and then just like squishes him, <laughs> like it's like you in the glacier because you spilt your fucking like oil, the glacier starts like rolling towards you or like melting towards you, and you're just standing there going "stop, glacier, stop," for like. 10,000 years while it slowly grinds you yeah, to yeah, the ground. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And then when it finally happens, you put it down <laughs> to eating a BLT last Sunday or something like that in front of the glacier. <laughs> so let me... Let, okay, so so Okay,
1: so here's a very good extract of... This is an extract from, like, some fucking academic who spoke to some people in some part of the world. I don't give a shit about the details. <laughs> <laughs> only expect the, the highest I, levels of I, uh, academic
0: integrity on the book club from hell.
1: <laughs> the glaciers these women speak of, I think mm. they are in the Andes. Um, the glaciers these women speak of, explains Cruikshank, engage all the senses. The glaciers are willful, capricious, easily excited by human intemperance, but equally placated by quick-witted human responses. Proper behaviour is deferential. I was warned, for instance, about firm taboos against cooking with grease near glaciers that are offended by such smells. Cooked food, especially fat, might grow into a glacier overnight if improperly handled. The narratives collected show that show how humans and nature are intimately linked and subsequently demonstrate the capacity of folk glaciologies to diversify the field of glaciology and subvert the hegemony of the natural sciences. Okay. So that, to me, is the antipathy. It's just like it's just like that is the crux of everything that we've been mm. Like, mm. talking about. That is such horseshit. <laughs> it's just complete horseshit. It's complete horseshit. Okay. What these people just said, if you take it as an explanation of the world, is not true. And it's not a matter of, oh... Well, the Western science says that the glacier is made out of H2O atoms or H2O molecules, and actually the the local indigenous-like knowledges say that the glacier is made out of the spirits of their ancestors. Well, both of those statements could be wrong, but they both can't be right. Mm. And Popper puts this just so beautifully at the end of... He has an, an, an addendum to the the open society and its enemies. And the addendum is this little chapter at the end where he's is he explaining like different parts of his epistemology as so like an add-on to people who haven't read his epistemological works. And the 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 little section is called uh, two wrongs don't make two rights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you think
0: that <laughs> two so people snappy. come to have
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's a great writer as well. Uh, if if you imagine two people, Jack and Levi, Come to have a conversation. They disagree about something, <clears throat> and uh, and we create a two by two matrix of the outcome of that conversation. Uh, and that two by two matrix is Jack and Levi uh, walk away agreeing. Jack and Levi walk away disagreeing because one is right and one is wrong. So that's two of the cells. And then the other one of the cells is like both of them walk away from the conversation disagreeing, but agreeing to if you imagine like agreeing to disagree where you don't actually make any progress because nobody actually just admits that they were wrong in the first place. Mm -hmm. And both people just walk away just as ignorant as they were at the beginning of the conversation. And Popper's point is basically when he says like two wrongs don't make two rights, he was talking about, he was leveling a criticism at essentially like relativism in all its forms, whether it's cultural relativism or like some other form of relativism Where you and I could just, like, I'm indigenous, Jack's white Australian, so we come and we have a conversation about, like, I don't know, like, where does the water come from out of the ground? Does it come from the ancestors' spirits or does it come from, like, a fucking spring up in the mountains or some other source? It's like, if we disagree with it, like, I'm wrong or Jack's wrong, but if we just say, oh, you know what, like, ha ha kumbai fucking ya, like let's just agree that like it simultaneously comes from the spring and it comes from your ancestors spirits. This <laughs> is like, that's not helpful. That's not a helpful situation to be in. That is a completely unhelpful situation to be in. And what these people are doing in this fucking article is they're doing exactly that. Yeah. They're not actually saying, Hey, actually these people who have generated these stories, maybe we value them for some aesthetic or historical or anthropological reason, but they're, Possessing that explanation and protecting it through cultural relativism or post-colonial, whatever, like ethics, and then not actually submitting it to criticism means that those people who have, because those people don't just have explanations about glaciers that are false. They have explanations about other things in their world that are false. And the fact that those explanations are full of mysticism and entities that don't exist and broken, causal relationships between things means that when those people go to do stuff to fix problems in their lives, they're ineffective.
0: It's also like, it's, it's just this, it's what you said, this, um, this condescending attitude, because at the same time, these, oh, actually, I was about to say these people don't have a problem with Westerners updating their, their beliefs to more effectively solve problems. I think it's in some ways, these people do have a problem with that. At least in theory, they do like it when those things, you know, make the Wi-Fi signal better or give them a better phone. But it seems sometimes that only Westerners are allowed, or you know, are are adult enough to survive having their their beliefs criticized. Yeah. And it's like, oh no fuck? no, these brown people. If you tell them that glaciers aren't offended by the smell of, of cooking fat, then oh, don't they're not going to be able to handle that. Let's just shh, keep it quiet. This sounds dumb to say, but like they're people too, like they're running the same hardware. I think they can handle it. Are we fine? Like then they're, they're not gonna just stop being able to understand the world if you go, oh, maybe there are different ways of understanding the world and some of them actually allow for knowledge creation, for the creation of technology, which ultimately allows a greater ability to defend your culture. If you're if you're wealthy. And have the technology to sustain yourself Yeah
1: if you're dirt poor Your culture will go extinct
0: Yeah It's like no your culture is going to become More defensible
1: And here's the thing like we can always say That like okay like a particular Say like I don't know um, say, say it might be like a, a, An aesthetic Pattern within a culture Like I don't know, a, like, like an artistic motif I'd say, okay, that's one part of cult- culture. Um, we might want to keep those. Or we might even say, that, like, for the purposes of, like, teaching our kids about morals, we're going to keep certain stories that are, like, not... Um, like, maybe our ancestors would have considered them explanations of the world, but we don't consider them explanations of the world anymore, but they contain good moral knowledge, they're, like, allegorical value, and so we're going to keep those stories. I, uh, th- there might be stories that I keep from my Aboriginal background that I might tell my kids because I think they might have, like, some allegorical value. But to actually say that that is actually how the world works mm. is is a uh, is, is a different thing. And so I think what these people are trying to do, is essentially, they're, they're pussyfooting around. They're trying to... One, they've got intense amounts of white guilt that I can... It slaps you in the face when you read the fucking paper. And, yeah. like... <laughs> and yeah, it's, and, it's so intense. And the thing is, like, white people in these situations, good hearts—they mean the best. I th- I'm going to take these people; <laughs> as much shit as I'm talking about them. And I'm just going to say, like, I- I'm sure they're well-meaning people, and what they're trying to do is like kind of atone, so to speak, for the sins of their forebears who were committed to cultural genocide <laughs> in, yes. in places like Australia and the unit and and that is bad and we definitely do not want cultural genocide but the solution to that is not to treat false theories as equal to good explanations generated through severe criticism and bold conjectures about say the structure of atoms and the way that say the energetics of the sun affect Glaciers, glaciers, like that is just just not on. That's not how we make progress anywhere, regardless of what culture you come from. And to say that like the reaction, the 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 solution to like making up for like the cultural genocide of like indigenous peoples or whatever all around the Western world, like the or the like places like America, the solution to that is not to then treat indigenous people like their fucking children.
0: Yeah, it's almost it seems almost encouraging them to cultural stasis. But just stop them from updating knowledge and just hold them in place and go, OK, no, this is good. Just stay that way. But the flip side is it is that like all
1: these people around the world, like if you walk into like a village in like with with a few exceptions, which I will concede there, ex- there are exceptions to what I'm about to say. And I think those exceptions should be respected if if that's what the people want. <laughs> yeah, it's like consent is very important. But most people, if they live in say a village in the Amazon and they don't they can't see anything after the sun sets unless it's by firelight, if you walk in and you show them a fucking torch, they will want it. They will want the torch. Yeah, well the fact that they use the a torch fire and if you show them like
0: <laughs> they want light at night. Like if they're already using fire, they are already offering solutions to that problem. You're just coming in with a better solution. They want solution. the torch. They want the electricity. They
1: want the electricity. When they see fucking YouTube and just the infinite amounts of free education that you can get, they'll want, they will all, look, in In 10 years, everybody in the fucking Amazon will have an Android phone and they'll have an uplink to to Starlink and they'll all be streaming. They'll all be able to get equal access, Form. the same access that you and I have to Pornhub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and to MIT open courseware, a kid in the middle of the Amazon will be able to get an MIT education in 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 computer science. Full MIT computer science curriculum for free. Completely for free in the middle of the Amazon. That's what they'll be able to get. And the idea that the thing that produced that Western civilization, that that's somehow just got completely bad and corrupt and that we just need to leave those kids and those people in the fucking dark in the middle of the Amazon uh, when, like, it's pretty obvious that when you take them clean drinking water and, like, technology for, like, uh, like treating treating dirty water and providing electricity and, like, information, communications, technology, those people want those things.
0: Yeah, <laughs> gee, not getting jardier is great, they say. Yeah,
1: like, fuck me. It's like... You know, something something's always tripped me out is like I've been so up on my fucking high horse this episode.
0: Yeah, but the I'm thing sorry. is, it's, but <laughs> it's, it's like when we talked about episode. Varg and we just said like <laughs> this is this is dumb. It's in that same way, although a difference is I think Varg's malicious. I really don't think these four authors are malicious. I just think they're no, they're not they're being malicious. No, very misguided. Wayward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you
1: know, I think. Um, Okay, what if we try to give them benefit of the doubt or whatever, and just say like it's good to criticize the Western institutions. Some of the issues Mm, in Western institutions are things like Like institutionalized institutionalized sexism, sexual assault on campuses. You know, like uh, you know, like the idea that uh, say a woman, a young woman, say nineteen years old, goes to a lecture hall, and, you know, there's a, an actual real risk that they might be sexually assaulted by their lecturer, I think is abhorrent and does need to be called out. I, I, you know, I know sexual abuse doesn't just happen to women, but, uh, you know, like, as far as I'm aware, at least on campuses, like, there seems to be, uh, I mean, it might be an overreporting thing or something like that, but, like, it does seem to be a big issue, and I think, like, okay, like fair enough call that shit out like get those fucking academics those in this case like male academics out of those fucking institutions fire them or press charges or whatever and fix that problem but that doesn't mean that like the entire like um system is completely broken from the ground like we don't mm-hmm. need to like get rid of it we need to correct those fucking issues
0: yeah what about from the next part the uh, gendered science and knowledge Part I found a quote which is: "It's wild the extent to which hyperprogressive and evolian thought regarding gender crosses over." So here's a really good quote: <laughs> so, "These scholars and others since have argued that the Baconian view of knowledge engendered a strong tendency in the environmental sciences to classify, measure, map, and ideally dominate and control non-human nature." As if it were a knowable and predictable machine, rather than dynamic, chaotic, unpredictable, and coupled natural human systems. I love here that it maps onto Evela Land so well, in that masculinity is this rigid, dividing, law-giving system of domination. Whereas the feminine nature is earthly, chaotic, and unpredictable. It's just like, you could read this article... In an evolian way, and much of it would actually make sense from that perspective. It's fucking crazy. It's this
1: weird thing where, like, the political or I don't know if it's even a political spectrum. But the the what the ideological spectrum just like wraps around on itself like a like a Mobius strip. It all and reaches like it's like, like Terence McKenna. Yeah, and you know it's like Terence that could that what you just read could have come out of the mouth of Terrence McKenna, or it could have come out of Julius the mouth Evola. of Julius Evola. <laughs> 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 Turns out that M. Jackson is an, is a devout volume. <laughs> there is a unity of knowledge
0: and metaphysician. a metaphysician. And
1: there is a, there is a unity of knowledge. <laughs> I, um, I don't agree with, with that i don't agree with them
0: yeah the um <laughs> another thing that in this section they talk about a lot which i disagree with quite fundamentally is they keep talking about how the scientific method or the scientific posture is fundamentally flawed because it has this they regard it as a childish view of objectivity it, of the ability to be objective with respect to knowledge. And I really disagree with that. So I think you'll, you could meet plenty of scientists whom I regard as fairly unreflective, who would, I guess, maybe at least in passing, regard what they're doing as objective. But to my mind, the scientific yeah. worldview really arose in response to this fundamental question of how do we reduce subjectivity and how do we reduce bias in generating yeah these theories of the world like to say that science doesn't doesn't even consider that it could be anything other than objective i think misses the complete point of science science exists as a response to the question of of course we are fundamentally subjective like we view things from a subjectivity but how do we reduce the interference of that on on our ability to try to describe the world—that's just that's fundamental. That's almost the foundational question of science. It's just like this entire section is like you—you yeah. you just totally missed the point. Have you ever talked to a real scientist?
1: It's uh its the issue around like uh, Thomas Kuhn, and I—I uh, I think it's, I how to spell it, pronounce his name? I'm, i yeah, Thomas Kuhn. He wrote the uh, the structure of scientific revolutions. Um, uh, and uh, and then there's also people like uh, you might be able to speak a little bit more to like the the post-structuralist types, you know, like, um, uh, like how do I put this? Um, they think that science is this uh, big machine, like turns out knowledge, and then encodes like all the flaws of the people who produce that
0: knowledge. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a really good way of putting. The it. The thing is
1: the the machine doesn't work because, or it doesn't work in order to instantiate those, people floor, those people's flaws, and then like roll them out to the rest of the world. It 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 works in spite of the flaws. Like yep. the beauty of the scientific, like culture, the culture of criticism, and the scientific worldview is that we have basically we, we basically just had the humility to say, hey, individually. We are all full of like mistakes and errors and 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 um, and ignorance. And even when we come together, we we make a lot of mistakes. But if we just like keep at this thing, eventually, like over the course of many many years, in the case of some situations like decades or centuries, we mm. will improve. And that is in spite of our flaws. <laughs> We've yep. come up with a mechanism to make progress in spite of the flaws of all of the participants.
0: Yeah, and I think just that insight... So what you just laid out basically invalidates this entire section of saying that basically because most scientists, and especially those who came up with the philosophy behind science in the West, were male, it is in some way foundationally male and, can't, and can only ever understand the male subjectivity. And as I said earlier, the scientific method is a... It fundamentally exists to address this problem of, well, I, I view the world from a subjectivity. How can I reduce the, the distortion of that subjectivity? Yeah, this, this part is totally uh, missed it's the
1: point. Prof- These people don't understand what they're talking about. So and another another profound and interesting point that Popper made, oh, it's just, it's, It was, was, I think I actually sent Jack a text message about this when I read this essay. There's there's this book called Objective Knowledge. It was written in in 1972. So, 50 years was the 50th anniversary last year of this book being published by Karl Popper, Objective Knowledge. It's a collection of some of his essays. One of the essays is called Epistemology Without a Knowing Subject. Yes, you did send me this. Epistemology without a knowing subject. And it is a groundbreaking... Like, when I read that, I was like, oh, shit, it's that is what right. he's fucking talking... What he, he, what he's saying is that, okay, like, other people, like Ayn Rand and her, her objectivism, but also the Bayesian epistemologists, quote-unquote epistemologists, but also the Kantians, also the empiricists, the, the reason why they have all tripped up is because they weren't able to abstract a theory of knowledge outside, get the idea of knowledge away from the subjectivity of of the person creating or engaging with the knowledge. And Popper did that. He was the first person who did that. And what he realized is, hey, knowledge is actually something out there in the world and we engage with it with our mind. He calls it the three worlds. It's a very interesting framework that he's thought of. Basically, as I was explaining at the beginning of the episode, like information is physically instantiated in like physical objects, like your computer that's running right now is dealing with, is like interacting with information and and knowledge. And therefore, like you could actually like in principle, not that you could do it in practicality, but in principle you could specify the three dimensional location of every instance of a piece of knowledge where it is on the surface of the planet. Like, there's certain knowledge, say the theory of Einsteinian relativity, is not instantiated right now on a planet going around Alpha Centauri. It's only instantiated in like books and laptops and uh, diagrams and people's like and in people's memories right now here on Earth in specific, actual, concrete physical locations in space-time, and that means it's like a physical entity. And once he had that breakthrough, he realized, oh, this unifies, like, Darwinian evolution and the knowledge encoded in genomes. It unifies, like, computer science and how, like, computation is about, like, getting physical systems to process information. And also unifies, like, our epistemology, how we're creating things in our mind, which is to say that, like, one day, hopefully one day, we will have a physics of knowledge and its creation. And we'll be able to talk about, like... Here's knowledge out there in the world. Here's the laws that govern its creation and its growth and its distribution and all that sort of stuff. And essentially like what these people don't realise is that they think because they have this kind of subjectivist point of view that in a way the cultural instantiation of like uh, Western scientific values in institutions is a way of basically like imprinting the subjectivity of Western-born people on all the other peoples of the world. And that's where they get this villain-victim-like dichotomy. But that's not, that is not what is happening. Like, we're actually creating, like, generating, producing information, encoding it, and put like, instantiating it in physical objects. And that knowledge is objective in the sense that, like, it, obje- it objectively exists outside of the human,
0: like, subjectivity. So you, you sent this to me and I read it. And that's the aspect that is it just feels so spooky. And it's the sort of thing where... It's fucking crazy. <laughs> I guess it's like in day-to-day... In, in my day-to-day existence, I, I kind of just think of knowledge as existing. It's like it's just a thing. Like the, the medium that it's encoded in and the knowledge itself, I just kind of de facto think of as being more or less the same thing. But when you really... Yeah, when you you think about how there is, there's some sort of knowledge that exists independently of, of whatever it's ne- it's instantiated in, or it can be instantiated in different ways. It just feels so spooky. There's, there's it's something, so cool. it's and and not is- the material itself. It's the, the relationship between the constituent parts of whatever medium it's expressed in. That relationship is the knowledge in some way. It's, just it's so beautiful. It's, it's so beautiful. Spooky is the best way I can put it. There's something very strange going on.
1: Yeah, it's a really it's a deep mystery, and uh, and it's 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 that is the pathway towards answering the question of qualia. You know, like just for listeners, like the qualia, the qualia, like I studied neuroscience in my undergrad. Shout out to names if you're listening. Shout, shout out, out to, to names because names might it's said here well I met him at the meetup he said he was interested in studying but potentially studying neuroscience so fucking go at it man. So there's this deep question of like qualia. So like qualia are like the aspects of and the components of your subjective experience. So like the redness of an apple. You look at the apple, it's got a certain quality, qualia quality and that's happening somewhere <laughs> In your mind <laughs> but like when we look at a brain a physical brain from the outside in we look at it and it's not like there's images flickering we don't see it's not like an lcd screen or something mm. like where are the qualia we look at from the outside in and we don't see any qualia but from the inside out there's qualia deep mystery yeah <laughs> okay that mystery is somewhere to be found in this idea that like information and knowledge and its relationship to physical substrates There's, like, an autonomy as, as like, as, like, it's, like, it's, like, it's, like, it's, like, uh, you know, like, when you study the theory of computation, you study the theory of computation. uh, No, that's a bad example. Um, uh, Can I give an example? Like, there's law. oh, 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 no, here's a good example. Okay, so, like, when I say that, like, a particular algorithm has, like, some runtime complexity, I'm saying, like, how, like... What, like, how many operations does the uh, algorithm take mm. to perform as a function of the size of the input? Is it, like, an exponential or is it a linear, a, like, uh, growth function, that sort of thing? Um, that is an independent – that is a statement about the algorithm, not about the physical hardware it's instantiated on. And if I take the same algorithm, put it on an M1 chip or, an, or an, or like, I don't know, like, uh, uh, like an ASIC or no, – not an ASIC because – that's a, no, actually, that's a good example because it's Bitcoin. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> there's an ASIC, <laughs> there's an ASIC chip, <laughs> there's an ASIC chip that runs uh, a SHA two fifty six hashing algorithm, and there's my computer. Okay, that algorithm forces the hardware to do something, <laughs> and it doesn't matter that like the ASIC chip is just specialized it can do it faster but it doesn't get around the runtime complexity of computing sha-256 it has to brute force that and it's it's not a fun algorithm that's why we get specialized like chips to do it and the, 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 the issue is and the thing that people don't just like take completely for granted is that we're running all these web services, right? And you don't know if it's running on like a computer made out of like, uh, you know, like running uh, Linux or running like a Windows server or and is it running like on this chip or that chip? Well, that's because the algorithms are in an autonomous uh, like ha- they have autonomous complexity. They we can make statements about them independent of like their physical substrate they're instantiated in, and so the only reason that can happen is because knowledge is objective in the sense that it exists like it has its causal influence independent of the subjectivity of any knowledge creating interpreter, Mm -hmm. such as a human.
0: The best way I can describe how I feel when I think about this sort of thing is how I got to go diving in Lord Howe Island, which is a really beautiful place. And we swam off, we basically went off the, um, so that the island is an, is part of an old volcano. And so the, it's pretty shallow water, but then at one point it just, it drops from tens of meters to hundreds of meters to kilometers really quickly. And when I think about these sorts of things, I get the same feeling as when I swam off the edge of that and you just see See the seabed drop into blackness. You get the feeling that you're you're peeking into something very, very profound that you can't quite make sense of, but you're trying your best.
1: Yeah, I mean that's part of what makes it so fun, right? Can I give yeah. you one more example why this is like so profoundly yeah. like interesting what Pop is saying, and why what these people these don't people don't fucking know what they're talking about. Like <clears throat> we have this issue in like the biosciences, right? Where it's like okay, what is the unit of, like, um, evolution, right? That's uh, where, like, the neo-Darwinists with, like, molecular biology come in and say, they say, like, the gene is, you know, there's some interesting stuff around, like, uh, epigenome research that's happening at the moment. But, like, I don't know enough about that to, like, comment too much. But, like, the gene, like, Dawkins would say, like, the gene is the unit of, like, evolution. And whereas, like, E.O. Wilson, there's these people called uh, group selectionists and the group selectionists are basically like, uh, like evolution is happening at like the level of like some group phenomena, such as like a species. But once you get your head around the, like the objectivity of knowledge, the fact that information is physically instantiated in actual physical substrates, the group selectionists, E.O. Wilson, I, I believe uh there's some other interesting um prominent biologists um i think brett weinstein might be a group selection or something i can't remember um like they have to answer the question of like where is the information physically instantiated and why how is there information communication between different members of like individual members of that species how is, like, what's the actual physical mechanism causing, whereas, like, uh, causing the evolution, whereas, like, the neo-Darwinists can literally point at, like, the snippet of DNA and say, look, (laughs) there's the molecule. Mm -hmm. When there's a germline, like, variation, this is what happens. And the reason why that particular individual's offspring looks like this is because there was this allele, in that parent versus like this other like individual of the species doesn't have that allele. Like it's down to that level of granularity. You yeah. have to actually specify like the substrate. <laughs> you know, that's how profoundly important this this stuff is. Well the substrate and
0: is the reason why yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's... Okay, so I'm I'm just thinking out loud here, but it just seems like where the knowledge really lies is the relationship between the constraints imposed by just the the very nature of the physical substrate so the the physical substrate of say a gene yeah the relationship between that and how something can operate within the system like that's where the knowledge is and some it's like really crazy. spookily you can move to a different physical system which imposes different constraints and so long as things operating within that system interact with the physical constraints in some sort of analogous way, it can be encoding the same knowledge, and that's just
1: isomorphically.
0: That's yeah. just so mind-bending. But the thing is, like, it works. It's fucking. We nuts. like we know it, it works. It works.
1: It's fucking crazy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's just like uh, it is.
1: Like, just think about a uh, a DNA molecule, right? Like okay, I could specify a bunch of parameters that would be like say the distance between like say a a nitrogen atom and an oxygen atom or a carbon atom like in the chain and, uh, or I could say like the vibration frequency of those but those, the the interesting thing is like that's the type of information as well you might say but it doesn't matter, that's not the part that's encoding the knowledge, it's the pattern the ATCG, like there's all these physical parameters going on but actually, only one of them actually matters.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know? And the thing is, if you we work out <laughs> enough about the almost the laws within a particular substrate, you can start porting knowledge between different substrates. Like the between same substrates, knowledge. yeah. It's, <laughs> so I'm not religious, but when I think about these things, give you it a, almost feels like give you you're looking things. at the face of god like something, something very right. spooky is going on in the world like get this right with CRISPR technology you can go into
1: like a jellyfish cut out a fluorescent gene and take that gene from the f- jellyfish and put it into a rabbit and make the rabbit like fluorescent Isn't <laughs> like so the group selectionist has to explain why that's happening There to me Like, once we get to the point where we can actually cut out bits of information and transplant them between not just different members of the same species, but literally, like, species as different as, like, jellyfish. Like, when was the last common ancestor of a rabbit and a jellyfish? Like, a billion years ago? A really
0: long time ago.
1: Like, okay, therefore, there's information encoded in that specific piece of DNA, and we've not only moved the physical atoms, but we've moved the knowledge physically through, like, Space time and put it into a different body, and now it's had the same effect. It's made
0: the rabbit glow. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just feel like it's so that, psychedelic, man. that way of <laughs> viewing the world I find much more gratifying. And I think it's just much more constructive than sort of this entropic view of the world as espoused by the authors of the feminist glaciology paper which seems to basically be motivated by it's almost like they can't be bothered they can't be bothered doing the hard work of looking through different cultures and seeing okay which parts of these like which parts of these are generating knowledge in a way that really benefits the people within those cultures and because i think i, I agree to a large extent with what the authors of the sovereign individual said about cultures how much much of culture is by largely a, like an evolved completely. response to local conditions. <laughs> it's like so, which yeah, they're, they're not going to be devoid of like truths that can be say ported between cultures. Like they're they're not arbitrary, but it seems like the authors of this paper have looked at just the multiplicity of human experiences and human cultures, and instead of knuckling down and doing the hard work of saying, okay, we've got all of these different groups of people trying to work out like what is going on on Earth or in existence generally, and which things can we learn from these and generalise to other cultures. Instead, they've just thrown up their hands and gone, oh, it's too hard, isn't it? Uh, they're all right, I guess.
1: Yeah, so two wrongs don't make two rights.
0: <laughs> it yeah. is,
1: it's the height of laziness. It's an intellectual the,
0: uh, edifice that exists to justify their profound intellectual laziness.
1: It's an intellectual edifice that exists to justify their fuck.
0: Pat, fat <laughs> fucking
1: yeah.
0: can't even speak. Probably it's just a like, Fuck. yeah,
1: fucking. I'm so angry that this person has a fucking Fulbright scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just my envy, really. <laughs> no, um, I, yeah, yeah. So, okay, I, the, I just think that the um, section
0: systems yeah. of scientific domination. We've basically been talking about this the whole time. So they say that. This is where they talk about, they call it Western science. Again, as we've talked about, as if it's the exclusive domain of Westerners, as Western science is existing to dominate non-Westerners. And when they say non-Westerners, like it always feels like they're just saying white people as if like.
1: Yeah, it is. They're just saying. Why? You know, like people who are <laughs>
0: ethnically Han Chinese in Australia somehow aren't Australians, or something like that. It's just so. Uh, is that called dog whistling? This shit pisses are they me off. So I'm sure these people are nice people. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think they're <laughs> malicious. I just think they've they've been Can basically smelling quote? their own farts for too long. Can I give you a quote from <laughs> Systems of Scientific Domination? Yeah, <laughs> there's
1: a great <laughs> quote. It goes, uh. Structures that I think it might be the first thing they say is, but uh, structures of power and domination also stimulated the first large scale ice core drilling projects. These archetypical masculinist projects I to literally this, penetrate glaciers and extract <laughs> measurement and exploitation the ice in, and, and exploit the ice in Greenland <laughs> and Antarctica. It's like, it's like a Freudian. A Freudian will always see dicks, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but
0: even dicks. Freud said. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Just and a I think cigar. in this sometimes, case, sometimes, sometimes an ice, drill an ice core drill. drill is just a drill. I, I don't <laughs> think it's actually this, like, it's it's an emergence of a sublimated desire to, to penetrate Mother <laughs> to penetrate Earth, Earth. With, a, with an ordered <laughs> masculine representation of the penis. I, I just think they're drilling for ice cores. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And what do they like? Here's the th- Here's why it's, a, it's an ideology of entropy. Because let's just say you care about understanding the stuff that, like, maybe what happened, what conditions the ice was in 10,000 years ago. So you want to, you do want the ice core because you're a feminist ideology, you're a feminist glaciologist, and you want to understand the history of the ice. But now, because of your ideology, you don't want to penetrate the ice. You've got to do something. What's their proposed solution to, like, getting that information and getting, <laughs> like, how are they going to go and get that data now? They've just barred
0: themselves from taking the ice cores. <laughs> well, that's that, that was a question I had for much of this article, where, like, what sort of world are they meaningfully wanting to create? So your your point about the ice cores is a perfect example of that. Like, what... Yeah, exactly. Like, what do they meaningfully want to do? So, okay, ice core, ice core. <laughs> it's like a big, big evil people, dick fucking the Antarctic, or like some some <laughs> dumb Freudian shit like that. It, what do you want instead? Like, what what is a vaginal way of getting of getting our samples? It's like, what do you want? Like, what the fuck do you want? Let's imagine a way of getting the ice sampled, (laughs) motherfuckers. It's actually though, it's like I I don't think that the debate on climate change needs to be less serious. But that just seems to be be more serious. It seems to be what they're proposing. um, We don't need less seriousness in this. Saying maybe we need to <laughs> penetrate like, kind of their feet with the they've metaphorically penetrated their feet with the masculine expression of a bullet flying through the air and drilling through <laughs> soft <laughs> organic feminine structures. <sighs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's a. Uh, I
1: mean, again, this is like. Um, The Terrence McKenna stuff around, like, dominator cultures and Mm. partnership cultures. It's more of that crap.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So they do, they do. Okay, so we were talking about what do they want instead of of masculine science. They do in chapter six or section six alternative Alternative representations representations somewhat address this. It's just, again, in a way that I think is unserious. I
1: don't think they're serious.
0: So they say they complain that the natural sciences are privileged in the discourses around cryoscapes, and s- say that we we need to have alter- alternative forms of understanding cryoscapes that aren't aren't from the natural sciences. And I'm perfectly open to that, but I don't think that knowledge is valid just because it comes from a non-scientific source. Whereas their prime Criteria for accepting something as valid seem to be is it not from a Western country? Is it not from a white person? Is it not from a scientist? And it's I don't see those three things and go, okay, yes, this knowledge is now valid. That's just not how my I don't, that's not how I assign salience to something.
1: Yeah, but Jack, you are.
0: I am also a white Western scientifically educated man. So you're cisgendered.
1: Yeah. You're
0: heterosexual heterosexual yeah all right like how i'm I'm actually ticking all the boxes or not ticking them
1: (laughs) you are you're ticking all the boxes of an oppressor as far as i'm aware yeah 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 (laughs) so really i don't care what you just said
0: (laughs) which means and so this is one of the things that irritates me about these sort of articles in that they basically they set up And this is not exclusive to wacky social sciences. You see this all over the place in really bad thinking where they'll set up whatever intellectual edifice they're interested in setting up. And then oftentimes they will set conditions for being able to criticize that structure. And basically, as those conditions, they'll basically have, if you in any way are inclined to disagree with this, then you are not able to disagree with it. So it reminded me of the quality of thought in practical female psychology for the practical man, which (laughs) we covered in a previous episode. The highest quality. So, for example, (laughs) they've got the idea of female subcommunication, which is where women will express their desires, except they won't do it in direct speech. They'll do it in basically their body language, their tone of voice, basically everything except them saying what they want. And this allows the authors of the book to basically interpret everything women do in the worst possible light. And then they remove your ability to disagree with the concept of female subcommunication because they say, okay, if a woman disagrees by saying, I don't do that, then she's doing it subconsciously. So she's not aware of it. So, so long as a woman says that she doesn't do this or that women don't do this, then they're not aware of subcommunication. If a man says that, that women don't do this, he is being brainwashed by female subcommunication, by womanese in the words of the three august authors of practical female psychology for the practical man. <laughs> so actually you are only in a position to evaluate whether female subcommunication is a real phenomenon or not if you already agree that it exists. And these authors are doing the same thing. If someone disagrees with them, they'll say, "Well, obviously you belong to some group which will disagree, but that is because you you belong to I don't know some Western mind virus like that sort of thought." It's it's so disingenuous. So that was a long rant.
1: No, it's good. I fucking have dominated this this like a like a like a cis heterosexual white male. I've dominated this conversation, and I've 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 man-spread <laughs> My opinion into the space. raped the conversation around <laughs> my intellect. I've raped the conversation. I've penetrated your mind with my with my gawk. Um, so um, okay, so I just want to. I just want to. Okay, one quick. I should probably head off soon because just waiting to have dinner with me. But I, I yeah, just yeah. want to like give some concluding remarks and respond to what you just said. There's with one last bit of wisdom from Mister Popper. Um, uh, Popper's you know, like I talk about Popper a lot because I respect I respect the man. Um, but at the end of the day, the fact that people call it Popperian epistemology, he would probably not like, because that puts him in mm. a position of authority. But his key insight is that there is no authoritative source of knowledge. the The truth content of knowledge is not dependent on on its source, and that was his basic key. That was essentially. If you could say what was Popper's major contribution to the species, his contribution was basically moving past the idea of what he what people or philosophers call justified true belief, which is by by what means can we justify our beliefs as true? He said, There is no means. You can't justify it. And no matter whether whether it's the kantians who said oh we it's because it comes from our rationality and reason or the, the empiricists who said it becomes from uh, it's, it's knowledge derived from the authority of our sense perceptions or whether it's like the Deists who say that knowledge is derived as authoritative because it comes from the god thing or whether it's like the objectivists who say something similar to the, the kantians like they're all wrong because it came from Atlas Drugs. It came from it came from Bitcoin, um, which is true. And <laughs> praise be to Satoshi. Um, <laughs> um, but his, his major contribution was to basically realise that all knowledge contains error, all knowledge is incomplete, and the fact that the knowledge was produced by person A instead of person B or institution X instead of institution Y is completely fucking irrelevant. The mnemonic that I use in my head to, like, keep this forefront is I say to myself, judge an idea based on its content and its merit, not based on its source or provenance. Where it came from does not matter. In other words, if Jack and I say the same statement, the fact that Jack's skin is white... And my skin is brown, does not change the truth content of that statement, unless in the only exception is like when we're actually when the the statement actually refers to something about like the subjective content of like what I'm experiencing, like I say say a statement about like my emotional state or something like that, like except in that that. And even then, actually, you can still apply the... Because you can still be in error about, like, your own emotional states. So, like, um, mm-hmm. even in that situation. And so, like, that was his key contribution. And what these people try to do, what the fucking relativists do, what the Marxists do, what all these people try to do, is they try to, they try to say that because the knowledge was produced by a person or an institution from a particular background, whether it was by... A man, or a woman, or a bourgeois person, or a a person inside, like, the polyp bureau, or whatever. They try to say that, like, that invalidates or validates the knowledge. And it's just, like, completely fucking irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Okay. A glacier is not created by spilling oil on the ground. And it doesn't matter whether the person who said it was white, or brown, or yellow, or fucking pink. It doesn't come from spilt oil. Conversation yeah. over. We don't need to have this fucking dumb conversation and the fact that there's people employed at the University of Oregon or getting Fulbright scholarships or getting grants from the US National Science Foundation is a fucking indictment on the state of Western scientific institutions right now. They are the blight on the Western scientific institutions, not the thing that they are mm. criticising. They're the problem.
0: Yeah. So I know you got to go. Sorry, soon. that's my fucking rant. So I'll on. read it. <laughs> I'll read out a little bit about one of their proposed solutions of ways to understand glaciers, and like you, you can say about it what I expect you to say, <laughs> and then we can wrap up the episode. But okay, so this is about re- refer- referencing Katie Patterson, who's an ice artist. Which like, when I read ice artist, I just thought of someone who smokes a ton of meth. But no, it's an, an yeah. artist who. <laughs> who uh, uses ice as a medium. So, Patterson's artwork builds on an earlier project where she submerged a phone line connected to Vatnájúrkul, I don't speak Icelandic, probably didn't pronounce that correctly, Iceland and Europe's largest glacier. People could call the glacier and listen to the distinctive pops, trills and gurgles of the ice. More than 10,000 people called during the installation. Such a project demonstrates how the social constructions of space, time and knowledge can be manipulated in significant ways and can engage human senses. Patterson's work challenges the conceits of scientific distance and impartiality. Glaciers are no longer remote, but just a phone call away. And it's like, it's an interesting art installation. I don't know how we can use that to counter climate change. Maybe I'm being unimaginative, but I think the ice cores, the the big steel dick fucking glaciers in ice cores <laughs> is probably just more more useful <laughs> if, if you're actually interested in combating climate than change creating, than, than calling than a glacier the
1: glacier call than giving it a call like go and fucking it with your big your big drill. <laughs> Your big drill. The big man with the big drill.
0: <laughs> get it, him, tear himself off a Valerie piece of glacier. Now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I fucking love that. The big man with the big piece. Get him to a piece. <laughs> yeah, look. I love uh, that shit. If this were written with as good prose as Valerie Salinas wrote the Scum Manifesto, then I would have enjoyed it much more.
1: I'm just going to go back to what I said at the beginning. I'm going to get on a plane when I want to travel between, like, travel at 700 kilometres an hour, uh, 10,000 feet above the surface of the planet, to for my intercontinental travel, I'm going to go, I'm going to entrust uh, an aerospace engineer, a Western, a Western-trained aerospace engineer. I'm not going to ask a quote-unquote folk aerospace engineer. There, there's, there's not folk aerospace engineering and Western aerospace engineering. There's engineering that works, and there's everything else. And And when it comes to solving large, significant problems, so
0: dumb. It's like a Chinese person in Beijing could design a plane that works. Like I actually don't give a shit. It either flies or it doesn't. And and when it comes to solving large, like.
1: Problems of any scale, from small problems to large planetary problems like um, like uh, climate issues this century, um, that is going to be solved by science and engineering that works. It's not going to be solved by sitting around singing fucking Kumbaya, like patting each mm-hmm. other on the fucking back. And so just, I think... Uh, I'm gonna yeah. like say my my last piece before we get into final words about like uh, review or whatever. I'm just gonna say uh, what Richard Dawkins said
0: so fucking eloquently. Science, it works, bitches. <laughs> as obnoxious as I find Richard Dawkins, like yeah, he's he's right. It's not about making like explicit claims to the truth, like saying okay, this theory is unambiguously true. It's you're asymptotically approaching whatever it is that is external to to humans, or what, whatever basically humans are instantiated as part of, it's a process of continuously improving your knowledge and updating it, not just saying that, not, not subscribing to what I regard as a pretty unproductive or just unfulfilling cult of criticism, where basically the act of criticising something is what's important. Like you just say that something is bad or... Something is problematic or that you don't like it Or there there are problems with something And then say, oh, that's my work done I don't need to do anything else I have nothing more to add You're just tearing it down It's, a, it's just so unhealthy And that's basically what this entire you, article is Yeah, you have a, a certain
1: sect or stream or whatever Within uh, Western institutions um, Particularly in the social sciences, it seems That are committed to, as Jack said, like an ideology of entropy it's really destructive and then you've got honest to god good decent like people out there engaging in error correction and severe criticism and bold conjectures and um and one of them is constructive and one of them is not constructive and as well meaning as I think these people are who wrote this and I, I think they probably are well meaning I don't think they're actively trying to be malicious about it I think that they have they are very 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 far off the mark and they're not being helpful
0: yeah And where I get, like, where I go from finding it funny to getting actually quite angry is when they start talking, not to, but about groups that have been historically or still are oppressed or poor, marginalized. marginalized. And instead of telling them to do what is easier said than done and is difficult, but is necessary, of basically like the way that you protect yourselves is ultimately by being able to create. New knowledge, error correct, generate and accumulate wealth to defend your culture. Instead of telling them that, it's basically telling them what will lead to disillusion, just stasis and decay of don't change anything, don't listen to anyone else. Just stay exactly the same. Like stop solving problems. And that that really pisses me off. It's just not it t- doesn't help anyone.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't help the people that they purport to speak on behalf of. So, um, I need no. to get going. So, I'm going to just, uh, say that you guys don't need to read this fucking piece of shit paper. Like, you no, can just don't listen bother. to uh, You just re listen to this episode another few times. Um, <laughs> 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 and, um, yeah, it's not worth reading. Shout out to, shout out to Discord. Anything else to say? Um, any, Any final thoughts? Shout out Um, to Yarp. Shout out to Yarp. Shout out to San Marzano. Shout out to Names. We had our first meetup. We're going to try and organize more meetups globally. Book Club from Hell is going global up in this bitch, like Pitbull. Um,
0: We're going to figure out some stuff around meetups and that sort of stuff. Um, I'm Pitbull doing a convincing Australian accent. (laughs) And yeah, we just appreciate if you made it to
1: the two hour mark of this this fucking episode. uh, Thank you. Um, Yeah, thank you. We're gonna keep on doing stuff. Um, Yeah. What else? Oh yeah,
0: Patreon. Send us money. Patreon. I'm gonna be publishing a book. I don't know soon, soon soonish. Depending on when you're listening to this, I'll try to sell that to you through the through the podcast. Awesome. The the Discord server too. Send us send us money. money. Jack
1: can eat something other than other than ramen. Um, uh, If you if you wanted connect with like-minded people who have a strange and quirky sense of humor Um, and you don't like jack and i are in the discord but there's also a bunch of other weirdos that are good fun you know uh the occasional you know like thing maybe just uh just like a little bit off you know like sometimes the humor's off but you're like sometimes if you're the sort of person who occasionally tells a joke an edgy joke at a dinner party full of normies and you get mm-hmm. looked at weirdly hey maybe uh the discord
0: is for you so come join us our discord's good because we can error correct when someone tells something tells a joke that's over the line everyone tells them that they're a fuckwit. That's That is the error correction of humor.
1: (laughs) That's the error correction, yeah.
0: Yeah, so come join the Discord, come hang out, and uh, give us the money. Yeah, yeah, that's the the most important part. Currency. (laughs) Okay, give us some cuck bucks whilst they're still in circulation. Cuck bucks. All right, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, cuck bucks.